Great eye contact. <laughs> hey now, it's your boy PSA Sitch here with another Tuesday Tuesday show with everyone's favorite master of eye contact, Adam Friended. What's up? How you doing? We have a very special guest here, Catherine Brodsky. Is it Brodsky or Brodsky? You, like... you, you, no, it's Brodsky. You said it right okay. and then you hesitated. Nice. <laughs> and then nice. you ruined it. I should have just went with it. You know, every yeah. it's like uh, sometimes there's Weinstein and Weinstein. And they're I thought it was there's... Weinstein for the longest time. And I almost, I, uh, yeah, that I, I almost I like got to get, that. I like to get people's names right, especially, you know, when we're having a conversation with them. So, but you, you've been on trig trigonometry recently. You've been on Tim Pool's The Culture War. So I saw you on Tim Pool's The Culture War. And as I said before the stream started, I was completely triggered, not by you, more by Tim Pool. So I'm sure we'll talk a little bit about that, but I'm going to turn it over to Sitch for whatever his first question is. Oh, well, so, you know, why don't you tell people how you had your own cancellation experience and is this what set you off down this pathway, I guess? Uh, this pathway of, of, of exploring speech and talking to different people, you know, I think that was something that I inherently always enjoyed, but mm -hmm. I was quite, um, I would say muted and demure in my contact. And I didn't have a lot of people necessarily outside of my own echo chamber that I communicated with, not intentionally, but that was just kind of the environments that I found myself in. Uh, you know, I work in journalism, I work in film and television. So uh, there's a tendency to have a degree of consensus or at least a perceived consensus. So with my own sort of um, culture or cancellation story, it definitely, you know, somebody said it's my hero stories or my hero arc, or maybe it's my villain. You know, it's really hard <laughs> to know. We'll see. You either live long enough to become the hero of your own story or the villain. And I think go. different people are going to disagree. But in my case, you know, I did have a, bra a brush with cancellation where uh, essentially it had a mob of people go after me because I uh, defended somebody's right to I had a job board. And on this job board on Facebook, it was for women. And somebody posted an opportunity and job opening at Fox. And people just got very, very upset at the original job sharer and went after her with a lot of ad hominems. And I thought, well, that's not right. So I ended up making a a post saying, you know, let's um, let's be civil and let's take politics out of it and not go after people and um, make peace, not war. Essentially, <laughs> it had that kind of tone to it. People didn't appreciate that. And so they started calling me names like white supremacists. They said as soon let the KKK recruit from my from my job board. And it sort of escalated from there to harassment, cancellation attempts, like trying to get editors to never work with me again, uh, you know, different threats, doxing attempts and things like that. And um, through it all, I was getting a lot of messages from people saying, you know, we see what's happening to you. We feel ashamed that it's wrong. Um, people shared their own experiences with me of, of their own sort of cancellations or, you know, losing their jobs, their livelihoods, their friend circles. And so it did ultimately cause me to want to... Um, you know, understand different people more, you know, use my own speech, not be as scared to reach out across the aisle and 
you know, these days I really I talk to anyone, whether it's somebody who's a communist, where I very strongly disagree with communism, having come from a communist country. But it's an but it can be really civil and in a very interesting discourse. And I'll talk to people. I've I've talked to people on all sorts of spectrums. So I think that was my definitely part of a big part of my journey. And I don't know if that would have happened to the same extent if that triggering incident didn't also happen. So th th you got in all this trouble just because you ran a job board and just said, "Hey." There's a job opening at Fox News and that was enough to just get everyone insane. Yeah, it wasn't even me posting the job. It was somebody else posting the job opportunity. So it was just me being unhappy with how this person was being attacked. And I made a very right. civil post. I mean, it did. Um, they also said at the time, well, you can't take politics out of the group because it's a group for women. And I said, OK, <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't want it to be political. So then, OK, I guess I'll open it it up for everyone and mm -hmm. here's a month's notice and you can create your own group and i'll amplify it but that that actually got people far even more angry than the initial incident with uh, the posting mm -hmm. of that's pretty News. based you're like oh oh you're gonna complain well let me just <laughs> make you more upset yeah because i think <laughs> the first one it was like a trap i walked into and i uh -huh. wasn't aware of what was gonna happen i thought people would just be like oh yeah right we shouldn't go after people um and I thought they'd agree with you. I did. I did think so. Would you agree with me? Na naive. I was very naive. I was definitely very naive at the time because when I talk to people about this now, as I'm telling the story, they always know what's coming. Yeah. But I really did not know what's coming. And I was naive because it seemed like very sensible to me. And then with, you know, when I made my base decision, that was a decision because I... I, I imagine people would be much more upset because now I'm sort of standing by my decision and my principle and it goes against what they believe. So in that in that case, I was like, well, I don't want politics in my group. And mm -hmm. uh, if that's what you're saying, well, I'm happy to make it open. When, open. when was this? This was in 2021, which is why mm. I can kind of talk about it now with like a great degree of detachment, uh, right. healthy detachment uh, and humor. Because also having it in the rear view mirror, I'm like, well, this really was such an insane thing to go after somebody for. It, at the time, I was like, maybe they have a point. Like, maybe there's something I'm missing. If so many people are angry at me, like maybe, maybe I'm misunderstanding something. Right. But I thought about it a lot. And now that I've had this distance, like I I've just, it's just makes it was so nonsensical. Of course. Were you before this, like really politically active at all? Or was this kind of not like, at um, all? Mm -hmm. Not at all. You know, like I considered myself, I consider myself a liberal, you know, um, because of the various views that I have, but not pol a political individual at all. Right. Um, I still don't really consider myself a political individual, even though some people now, I guess, think that I am. I talk about things that affect us in, in society um, as opposed to just, you know, oh, this this politician. But I but I do care about the structures. You know, I think the political structures are broken. So I do talk about that before this. Mm -hmm. I, I was definitely talking a lot about how, you know, being a journalist, I was seeing how that system was being compromised. So I did talk about things like that, but I just never saw them as political, I guess, or saw myself as political or really I never really thought about people in that way either. I didn't think, oh, this person is um, 
you know, a Republican, this is a Democrat, this is a conservative or a liberal. Like I just, it just wasn't something that I focused my attention on. Mm-hmm. What, what kind of journalism were you doing? Yeah, so a lot of the journalism, probably why I avoided getting into too much uh, heat <laughs> too soon, was I did a lot of cultural journalism. So I did stories, you know, a lot of film, uh, TV related content. So a lot of interviews with celebrities. I did uh, some technology writing, occasionally psychology articles, business, and a lot of travel writing as well. So it was much more cultural than it was. Certainly wasn't political or opinion. It was it was really reporting for the most part. Very little of it, you know, had my own opinion in it. Do you think there was like a liberal slant or a conservative slant in the reporting? In my reporting? Do you mean in my reporting? Yeah, yeah. Or or in the reporting that was going on around you, even even with around me a hundred whatnot. Yeah, around okay. me it's a hundred percent liberal. Okay. In my reporting, I would say it, there was definitely you know, I always tried to be a really objective writer and oh, so like I a real did, journalist I like a it. real journalist but there were like all these principles that um the editors that i worked with in the past you know who were old school editors they were really good about asking me the right questions on the pieces when they were making edits to sort of hone in on like not allowing my subjectivity to come in everything sort of had to be backed oh, really? up and, yeah they were oh, really okay. really good and i think now you have a generation that's really different um, and so the uh, reporters coming up now just don't have the benefit of those notes that I think made me a much stronger writer. And I always held objectivity as a high standard. Now, is there some, I mean, it's impossible to be 100% objective. I think the goal should be to strive for that. And of course, like in the topics that I would pick, right, in the um, what I chose to include or not include in an article, there is inherently some levels of biases, but I usually focused on like, what do I find interesting? What do I think the reader will find interesting? What makes a better story as opposed to like, this is my agenda. Like, so I interviewed a lot of people where I didn't necessarily agree with their viewpoints, but I don't think you could tell from my writing that's the case. I It's more about letting, you know, my subjects tell the story. Um, but of course I'm sure there's like levels of biases that sneak in at some points. It's just that I've worked really hard not to have that happen. That's good. It won't happen if you don't strive for it. That's for sure. Well, exactly. But nowadays there is this sense of like, no, it's your responsibility to have the bias, right? It's that activism, (laughs) journalism and the, and this, there's a big battle going on be, between sort of the old school journalists and and um, and the new generation where they're like, you know, we have these values of objectivity and it's important to present multiple sides of their multiple sides to present. Um, it doesn't mean both sidisms because not every side is equal, but you're trying to get to the truth of something, right? You're trying to be as accurate as you can be. And I think with younger journalists, um, the principles are different. It's it's more cause-based. Like they get into journalism because they want to shine a light on something, a cause. They want to change the world. For me, I guess I'm a very selfish person because what I wanted to do with journalism is like, I'm just curious 
and I want to learn about this. And oh, this is, I think you'd enjoy hearing about this too, because it's interesting. So that was always my approach from the very beginning, like I say, driven by curiosity. And really, that's always been at the core for me. And I think for a lot of journalists, but I think it has shifted to a point of like, no, I want to use journalism as a tool to change the world. So of course, then your own opinions and values are going to dictate what you're going to write, what you're going to write about, how you're going to cover it, who you're going to include or exclude. So that's a yeah, big part of it. There's a very dogmatic slant on the left that really kind of is the death of curiosity. It's like, we have all the answers now. We don't need the answers. We just need to, we need to share the truth with the world. So I'm very much against that. Sitch, I don't want to move on if you have any more questions about the journalist stuff. But Well, what do you think caused this shift in journalism? That's a really good question. I am not entirely sure, you know, if it's about power equilibriums, perhaps, you know, um, just differently educated generations where, you know, the values are different in terms of different peers. I don't know if I have a great answer because, you know, every generation is quite different and some generations are more coddled generations, for example. Um, they're more sensitive, more, you know, the politically correct. And that, that plays into it because every generation sort of responds to how they've been treated and then parents based on that. And so maybe part of that is a reactionary thing. And then you have a lot of people who might have had um, a lack of power and a lack of representation in the popular culture. And now suddenly they have the power. So with that power, they feel like now they can tell certain kinds of stories or this is their fight. This is a responsibility. So I'm just kind of thinking out loud here and I don't know how much sense that made. It's a really good question. And I just, and I wish I had um, a better understanding exactly mm -hmm. of, so I guess I'll say, I don't know. I have some suspicions, but I don't know for sure. I would wager, and this will bring you to the next question, which just kind of came up when your talk with uh, Constantine, which is mm -hmm. like, I would wager it's that wokeness, this concept of wokeness has captured a lot of institutions, a lot of colleges, and I think a lot of journalist uh, programs in colleges. And so how how do you define wokeness and what do you think wokeness is? Well, I mean, wokeness is, uh, there's obviously two definitions. The old school definition is just being awakened to injustices and being aware. I think that's mm -hmm. a perfectly good way to be, think we should all be woke in that old school term. Um, obviously, now in the cultural discourse, wokeness has become something else. And I think it, to me, it represents a set of behaviors. And I see that wokeness, by the way, on the left and on the right, because it's I look at it in terms of behaviors as opposed to just an ideology. So to me, it's about intolerance. It's about these kinds of bullying tactics, being hypersensitive, viewing oneself as a victim or uh, or seeing a group of people as a victim. So I think a lot of this comes out of that. And you know, it's true that the wokeness or just indoctrination, ideology, ideological capture has happened more in in academia. 
but also I still wonder, it's like, okay, but how did it get in there? Why mm -hmm. did it get in there? And I, I don't know if I've heard a lot of like very good explanations for it. I think the closest that I would come to explaining it, I really do think it's about power and, and, and victimhood. I think a lot of it comes from victim people who see themselves as victims, in some cases they are victims, not having the power to control their lives or change. And then when they do have the power, then they wield it in kind of authoritarian ways. And you see that even, you know, I was talking to someone about bullying recently, and you see how with some bullies, you know, you would think that if you were being bullied, you would grow up to be a more empathetic person because you understand <laughs> well you understand how it feels i say this as someone who has been bullied and you know for me that's my takeaway i'm like okay i'm going to this is how i'm going to treat people if i see somebody standing on their own in a corner and i'm more comfortable like maybe i'll i'll help include them so cuz i know what it feels like to be an outsider i know what it feels like to have people pick on you but the, the psychological phenomenon in a lot of people's um, minds is that actually when they're no longer the bullied, they become the bully because now they have the power. I don't know 100% why that happens, but we see that happening. We see that happening, you know, even I bring up this story with my dad, you know, he said that he when he went to the army, you know, they had this hazing ritual um, and the, the the new recruits would have to go undergo this really horrible hazing ritual. It was it was quite awful. It was in the Soviet Union. So it was extra awful. Mm -hmm. And he's he said, but the weird thing is like they couldn't wait for the next set of recruits so they can do the same thing to them. <laughs> right. <laughs> So it's something yeah. about humanity that's very mm -hmm. depressing, actually. Yeah, no, like, because I have the exact same attitude that you have where I would look at hazing specifically. Um, you know, I was in Boy Scouts. Obviously, it was nothing like, you know, being so Army of Soviet Union. But, you know, the older scouts were like, you know, assholes to us and haze us. And I had a very, like, conscious thought of like, OK, well, I'm not going to do that. And I'm not going to allow that to happen to the younger scouts when I'm older, because that just seems like a dick thing to do. But there is like this super weird uh, human psychological aspect where people have this idea of like, well, I experienced this thing. So now it's like my turn. You know, I deserve yeah. it or maybe revenge to like, you know, inflict the same status on, you know, someone else in the same situation that I was once in. And then it becomes like this weird bonding ritual, like a rite of passage. And, you know, people just get off on it. And, it's, it's and it sad. doesn't make sense to me because like. Yeah, you, 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 somebody did that to you. You didn't like it. Why would you go do it to somebody else? And not the same. It's not. It's not even you taking revenge on the people who did it to you. It's just a completely different set of people. It's kind of like it makes me think a little bit about this high, kind of uh, white supremacy argument, right? Where like everyone's a white supremacist or or um, white white um, yeah, like the system of white supremacy. You're uh, by default guilty of crimes just because you're white or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it's like, but those are people who are not like alive back then. It's to the same thing. You know, I don't hold people, you know, I'm Jewish. And if I'm in Germany, like I don't hold people accountable who had no participation or no involvement in, you know, the genocide of my family. Like I see this is a new generation and right. they are responsible for themselves. They can't 
they never had a choice as to how to behave. You know, they never had a choice as what to their forefathers did. Maybe they're abusive to them. Like we don't know anything. And, and so, but I think maybe this, this ties in a little bit with this idea of like, well, we're get we, we are the victims. Now we have power. We can now let's punish a whole new set of group of people who don't even have anything to do with what might have happened to you. Just, yeah, we should give the counter argument on the hazing thing. Like a little light hazing could be good. Obviously, people who face adversity tend to come out stronger. It's a way for people to test who is going to be who's going to have my back. It's a way to build loyalty. I mean, it's, it sticks around for a reason. It's it does have some evolutionary advantages, obviously. But mm-hmm. look, I, I don't like. I I just think yeah. you you kind of have to weigh all sides of the of the behavior i don't i don't know i feel like life is hard enough (laughs) well no i I think hazing can definitely go too far like all things in moderation right a balance if you're beating the crap out of the the next generation and it's progressively getting worse and worse yeah it's probably time to step in but i i think going in the other direction and just outlawing hazing this is how we get this coddled generation here that that's never faced any sort of adversity. Well, hazing and being honest is are two mm-hmm. different things in my view. And you can do a little light ribbing. Like I worked on a show called Jack Ryan and we shot it like around the world, including Morocco. And we had some Navy SEALs on the on the crew. And I remember at first they were just so they were really polite with me, very nice to me. And then gradually as we got to know each other, I started getting a lot of ribbing. But that was like how they accept you and they do kind of test you out in that yes, way. Yes, yes. And they I and I love cool. that, but they're not trying to like they're not trying to like hurt me. It's just light teasing. I think there's nothing wrong with that. I think people should be honest. I think the coddling is different. Coddling is when you don't tell the truth to make somebody feel better. If you're di- it's, it's inherently a dishonest thing. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't think you need to go and be like you know, a total jerk about everything that you say, you know, brutal honesty for the sake of brutal honesty, but being able to joke around and say slightly inappropriate things or, or just, just be honest when somebody asks you a question, those are the things that actually, you know, that we need. And a lot of it isn't happening. And I think a lot of it also comes down to the parents. And this is my Eastern European background showing, but you know, my parents may be too hard on me sometimes, but, um, you know, I look at Western parents and just how much they coddle their kids like they can do no wrong. Everything that everything gets praise. And sometimes I'm like, I wish my parents did that. So there's a jealousy <laughs> element there. But at the same time, it, it bothers me because they don't call their kids out on things they shouldn't do. Uh, if their kid wants this, like they get this and the parents can't put their foot down. And I think that's part of what's contributed to this generation that is coddled, that is doesn't hear no, that's so weak when they hear something that hurts their feelings and who does see themselves as these activists because that's what they need to be um, instead of instead of just pursuer, like people, the humility is, is in there because like curiosity is connected to humility in some ways, because you're like, well, I wonder, I don't know this. You you need to be able to say, I don't know much about this. I need to learn more. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I can just imagine mm-hmm. 
being in Boy Scouts with Sitch and Sitch saying, look, we're going to break the cycle of violence. And I, me saying, well, I mean, can't we just do a little hazing? Well, I, I think there's this multiple types of hazing. You know, I think there could be constructive hazing in terms of, you know, kind of look at like the way, you know, uh, the military kind of trains new recruits where it's like, you're supposed to have some drill structure who drill instructor that kind of like runs you through hell and, you know, does some hazing, you know, obviously things have kind of softened up now, but, and it's like the adversity of having everyone against this one person can create a bond in the group. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's definitely a thing, but I think that's very different than that group then turning around and like enacting bullying or violence against someone else. Right. Cause then suddenly they're the perpetrators of the thing. And well, I think it's very different. No, it's interesting because they get mm -hmm. very like when it's a group going against one person, you said that it, it builds a certain level of bonding. And I do see that people, when they gossip, they sort of bond, right? And they'll course, target one yes. person. But my answer, I still think it's inherently wrong. And so I, I wish that we would find better ways to bond because this is not the only way to bond. There's sure. other ways that we can't. So, yeah, it, it all, I mean, obviously it depends on like what is the reason for bonding against someone like. If it's, you know, the slave master, maybe it's a good reason to guess the right. But if it's like, yes, you know, I would say so. Sure. But if it's like Jerry at work and everyone picks on yeah, Jerry at work because they all hate Jerry him, alone. you know, <laughs> right. Like, but that is, um, that is unfortunately one of the classic human ways that we've evolved the bond is that everyone kind of pick an enemy and, and crap all over them. And I think with hazing, you just have to be careful in terms of, especially when it comes to age based hazing, because usually you have, you know, kids going through puberty who are kind of, you know, wildly out of control who are being, you know, horrible a-holes to kids younger than them. I don't think, I don't think that's generally an appropriate behavior. No, right? and you I generally think different don't. different than like ribbing, so. Yeah, and you generally, do, it's very hard to recover from that. Like if that happens to you as a child, like you, you certainly can't, you will, right? Like it's, it, like for me, having gone through some of that and some other hardships, like you're right. I, I do feel like it's made me stronger because I've had to face these hardships. I had to figure out. Um, but at the same time, I do think there are other ways. You know, you'll encounter a lot of hardships in life. You'll encounter heartbreak, people, you know, messing with you, people betraying you. There'll always be hardships. It doesn't have to come in the form of like bullying, which I think ultimately is so destructive. And, um, I am glad that I, you know, I'm not glad I was bullied, but I definitely took away a lot from it um, that mm -hmm. was positive. And I never saw myself as a, as a victim in any way in anything in life. And I think that sort of gave me a different mindset. So I just, I do see it as just as, okay, I went through this thing in hardship. What did I learn? Okay, what can I do better in the future? I mean, that's kind of how my mind works. Maybe I'm autistic, but um, <laughs> it's been suggested recently. But it is something where not everyone will go through it that way. And some people take their lives. And then I think also, even for me, um, you know, there is there is a hurt that never quite goes away. I will never feel like I belong. And again, that could be a positive. It could be a negative. Um, obviously, that can be a painful thing uh, to feel like always an outsider can feel very lonely, but also gives you a certain degree of independence and mm -hmm. self-assuredness. And you have to you have yourself to rely on and you're not as tribal. Right. You, I was I was wondering if you're I wonder if that feeling of the outsiderness is what allowed you to sort of 
see past the veil of you know the people acting uh woke and incorrectly in the job sport thing and to not just kind of fall prey to the the mind group virus yeah i think it did um i think in general my upbringing made me feel like so i was in an outsider because um as much as i i really wanted to fit in growing up like very much especially being an immigrant you know i really wanted to fit in and i immigrated twice you know um in my life uh to very different countries and neither time was it easy for me to sort of fit in so i did become sort of an outsider by default and then also the way that my parents raised me, I think they always raised me to question things, um, which is why I think, you know, people now leave too much or blame too much on academia, which is not blameless. But parenting, you know, part of parenting is giving your kids critical thinking skills and, you know, telling them to question things, not to just listen blindly to everything that's being said. So I think the the combination of the two things, I was always able to look at things from the outside. I think there are some blind spots that I did have and probably still do. But um, it definitely like I never felt like part of that tribe. So it was easier for me, I think, to see through when things weren't adding up. I was always very logical about you know, if you know, I'm very emotional and sensitive, but at the same time, you know, if there's a new policy or something like that, I don't tend to look at it just from like, oh my God, this sounds really nice. You know, um, I have such, I have a strong BS detector, you know, like land, land acknowledgements, for example, never uh, added up to me, right? So it's like, okay, you're acknowledging somebody's land, you're not giving it back to them. Like what, what is it doing but virtue signaling? So things like that, I was always like really aware of. And um, but I will tell you that I probably didn't speak out against that as much. I did sometimes like I wasn't I wasn't completely silent and I tell my friends and I make jokes and I make fun of it, but certainly not in a public way. But I do mm -hmm. think my mindset was very like, you know, an outside observer looking in always, even when I was like, you know, part of this group. I, I, I wasn't really part of the group in a way. Right. So I think it right. makes it easier to see through. There's do, no buy-in. So, do you want to move mm -hmm. on to, uh, well, everyone wants us to talk a little bit more about the right-wing wokeness. Sure. I just, I want to ask on the bullying thing, just because I've read about the biological sex differences between men and women and how they're vastly different when bullying, in situations of bullying. Female bullies tend to be very popular girls and, and male bullies tend to be the loser, <laughs> the outsider. So it's just, it's a completely different dynamic. If you're being gone after by mean girls, it can be, you know, devastating, uh, something you're going to carry with you for the rest of your life. I don't look, I've been bullied by guys in school and ended up being better friends with my bully than, than anything. So it's just, it's a completely different dynamic. And I'm curious if you've read like a lot of, uh, biological sex differences are denied on the left, just wholesale. Well, no, of course, there's there's the biological difference where I would say that in in high school, it's not necessarily the case that the, the outsider male is the bully. I think it's still usually the part of the in-group um, or people want to be part of the in-group. But I will say that the bullying amongst women, I, I find it um, higher. And what literature has sort of shown is that it has to do with also you know, men are more physical and women are 
less physically capable. So they are, so they use, you know, words as their yeah. weapon. Reputation destruction. The Reputation signature move of the mean girl bully. Yeah. Yeah. And you see a lot more mean girl bullies for sure. Um, and definitely the bullying came more from women. I, it wasn't entirely just women though. In my case, it was, it was both, um, you know, more as an adult, it was almost entirely women. So it's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, online is almost made for the female style of bullying. Reputation destruction is what's, what's happening on social media so often. Well, because they know they can do that. And so it's a it's a real weapon. I notice because I get I get like horrible DMs all the time and messages from all sorts of people on really? all sides of the spectrum. Yeah. And um, what I've noticed is that women you're right are are more reputational so i'm less i'm far less likely to get that kind of a dm from a female um i get those more from men and they can be incredibly crude explicit very hard and aggressive um but it doesn't have bite to it right there's not really much that they can do to me i mean you know assuming that they're not so insane that they would actually like show up at my house and do something um there isn't like a real threat to it versus with women, you know, it's a lot more subtle, but there is um, a real threat to at least my livelihood or my reputation. And so it's, it's in a way it's more impactful. They don't have, I think they go so hard because they know that inherently they don't have the power to do anything, but they're angry and they want to express their anger. Right. So on the, on the right wing woke, so you're defining woke as just this kind of behavior, like this cancel culture behavior. But I want to, I want to po posit that the original definition of woke that you're talking about, the awake to social injustice. I don't mm -hmm. know if you saw this clip that's going around, but SNL did a skit last week where they talked about debanking and how debanking is this thing that they've never heard of, that they're completely asleep to. Wow. which seems to be a kind of injustice that conservatives are facing that a lot of people on the left are completely unaware of. So doesn't that fit the traditional definition of, of woke? I'm so surprised that, um, yeah, that SNL did this kid. I want to see it. Um, but what do you mean? Like in um, the injustice of being debanked? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Sure. I, yeah. I, I, SNL doing the skit makes it seem like they're completely unaware of this thing that's going on where, you know, conservative commentators, conservative content creators will get a letter in the mail, you know, basically losing their bank account. Well, it is an injustice, I think. And, uh, you know, maybe people on the left don't see it as an injustice because it hasn't happened to them yet. And I add the word yet. Um, actually has, <laughs> it's just, it's just, you, you have to go a, a little bit further than, uh, you need, cause it's actually, I do know people who it has happened to who are on the left, like artists and people like that. So it does happen on the left too. They're just unaware. And maybe they, it's because that person went a little bit too far off the edge. Um, but yeah, no, it's, it is an injustice. And this is why I don't like to use the word woke in just one direction. By the way, it doesn't mean that you're 
the, the grievances are always false. Just like on the left, some of those grievances are accurate. Same on the right, some of these grievances are accurate. Like the reason that some people on the right see themselves as victims is because of things like debanking, you know, being fired for their speech or not allowed their speech, being deplatformed, not having power, institutional power, which right now is much more, you know, controlled by the left. So these are legitimate grievances, but the thing is, in both cases, the reactions can be, you know, to see yourself as such a victim that you are entitled to act out in aggressive ways that don't maybe adhere to certain principles. So that does come to shutting down speech, like trying to destroy people's careers, which has absolutely happened on both sides. It, you see it happening a lot more on the left. But the reason you see it happening a lot more on the left is because the left has more power. They can do it. It's easier to do it. If all the structure is set up where that's who can do it, then, you know, they're going to use up the or they're going to use that power. And you see as as sort of people on the right, certain people on the right regain their um, power in some ways or, you know, group together and are stronger, they say, well, we're going to use the same tactics as the left has because it actually worked really well. And we're going to get the most important thing for us is to get our power back to get this country straight, this country being the U.S. And, you know, once we've sorted that out, then we'll maybe go back to the principles of, you know, free speech and so on. And that is not um, and uh, this doesn't represent the entire right wing, of course. It represents a large group, though. And there's some people who will continue to stand by principles like free speech or not, you know, doing campaigns to cancel people and having tolerance. But but there's a lot of people who will compromise on that, just like the left. Not everyone's going to compromise on on their values and principles, but a lot of people do. Yeah, that's a terrible way to put it. You should never compromise your values and principles. So, but I guess pragmatism is is a principle. So, but just on the wokeness thing, I I can't stand the term wokeness at all. I just it's become kind of pejorative, uh, most exclusively used by the right wing. I get what like my my read of the situation is both right and left are using the same definition. Uh, this awake to systemic racism, uh, homophobia, awake to sexism, that kind of thing. That's what it originally meant. And that's kind of still what it means. It's just that the right believes that that racism, sexism, and homophobia is way overstated. So or being I think, weaponized against, against them. Yeah, I think yeah. That's, yeah. Well, I, I think part of it being overstated is how you weaponize it. Because if it's, if it's a minimal problem in society, you're not able to weaponize it. So you're constantly making it seem worse than it is so that you can use it for nefarious purposes. And I so, absolutely hate that word too. So I'm kind of glad you said that. Because look, I'm I think looking for another word. If you like, yeah, I mean, yeah, well, it. ideologically <laughs> captured or bully is, is often a, a good way to describe that behavior. It's a bullying behavior. It's intolerance. But yeah, we need a better word because it it is. I, I have a series on word misappropriation, and I did include woke as was one of the words. So I talk about how words are divorced from their original meanings and and being used in different ways. So I find like we're like Nazi too. Like I'm like, okay, if you're going to yeah. call somebody who doesn't like the same brand of coffee as you a Nazi, that's like not great. But um, 
but when um with wokeness what bothers me is like everything is called woke now woke now as a pejorative and i think it's not helpful to the discourse and i am a pragmatist in the sense that i i like to look at like what's the most useful thing and to just call people names which is it is what it's doing is not useful you're not going to like convince anybody of anything different you're not going to have good discourse that's not a good way to start so i don't like any kind of language like that and i think there was a point where i was using the word more and i've really walked self-reflected and stepped away from that um, for that reason, uh, because I just don't find that word to be useful and it's, it just brands people. How do we have this conversation though? That's the thing. It's, it's a shorthand it's the word that everyone's using now. Yeah, exactly. It is. And it's a shorthand. And that's why sometimes I will use it or like, you know, I wrote about the right wing woke, right? I did that intentionally because I need the word would invoke certain feelings and thoughts. So sometimes you, you, do use it. I just like to use it sparingly and to make certain points as instead of just like, oh, those woke assholes, you know, <laughs> like I just that is just not helpful. Just like there's many other ways that I see, especially the right. Well, I mean, there were many words on the left that they used to to, you know, stain the right. But on the right, they also have a lot. You know, I get called liptard and uh, all sorts of things myself. I've been called the Nazi, by the way, by both the left and the right. So you can't, you can't avoid that. So <laughs> yeah. if, if we think of woke as like left wing authoritarianism, there is obviously right wing authoritarianism. Is that what you mean by right wing woke? It is well in both cases. It's I would say that it is a type of authoritarianism, right? It's just you know authoritarianism doesn't you know is is generally associated with governments and how they run. And right now that's not the government, but but it is about controlling people's behavior and deciding you know what's right, what isn't, what's morally correct, what isn't. And if you step beyond that based on some subjective judgment you know, there is a punishment of some sort. So it, it it is an authoritarian tendency that's in human beings individually and as a group or as a culture. So I, that's how I see it. And of course, once it crosses to the point where it's authoritarian in terms of structures of governance, you know, that becomes a whole different thing. And we obviously see that around the world, even including today, where there are very much authoritarian governments who also dictate what people are allowed to say, for example, say, or what they do, how they can live their lives, where it broaches, you know, there, there is some, there's a level of authoritarianism always in society because there's some rules, right? Like if you commit a crime, you go to jail. If but but that those rules are there to to protect people from each other to protect society um, because you know your freedom is yours until it crosses over and infringes on somebody else's and that's where the government might step in and have some tools but when it comes to things that are your personal liberties right things that you might just choose to do say live that don't necessarily affect other people you know. I think when a government steps in, it is authoritarian. And just just recently, I was, um, you know, I saw, oh, what's his name? Something Walsh. I forgot his full name, but he's Matt like Walsh. 
Matt Walsh, yeah. Yeah, he's the right-wing authoritarian. Very, <laughs> very much so. So he was saying, everybody wants to out outlaw porn, <laughs> right? He's like, that should be a no-brainer, should have already happened. We've had this outlawed already. Well, we also had alcohol outlawed, and look what happened there. Um, that was a progressive idea, movement as well. The, oh, outlawing they, yeah, alcohol? The, yeah, prohibition, outlawing alcohol. Yeah, the, I didn't the, know when it was the progressives... Yeah, when progressives always, you know, they say they're always on the right side of history. I always bring up prohibition because, and if you look in the, I actually read a book on this because it's so fascinating. Hmm. It was all the uh, big business, business brewers against the communist feminists who were in favor of outlawing alcohol. Yeah, it so lines up with the progressive and conservatives of today. Big it's business so interesting because they're the, the same. Little guy. This is what I see, though. This is why this whole left-right thing doesn't quite work anymore. And it's more somebody, I forget, horseshoe theory. I think yes, that works really yeah. much better. And and to me, I look much more than left or right. I look at, okay, what how, how liberal you are or, or how authoritarian. Liberal in terms of, you know, allowing personal freedoms versus... The, the, why are libertarians on the right now? That, that always mystifies that me. That was weird because yeah. I think when I was really young, when I was like in university, I, I was like, oh, I think I'm a libertarian. But I didn't think of it as being on the right. I thought yeah. of it as being like, Le very left, I guess, but like not in the communist way, but capitalist left. Um, and just freedoms and liberties. And it's so strange to me that now there's like, well, there are left-leaning um, libertarians and there's also right-leaning libertarians. Yeah, but what does now, that even mean? I honestly, like, because the right-leaning libertarians, like, I was quite surprised. I was in a debate with one a little while ago and she was like advocating for pro-life. Like she was against pro-choice. Um, against abortion and i was quite surprised because i've never heard a libertarian make that argument before so i was like okay what's going on here and some Someone's of the views, a little confused i know and there's some like twitter accounts because different libertarian locations or organizations have like their own accounts and they're so all over the place some of them are like the libertarians that i used to know and some of them are like really radically right-wing like quite far right i would say in the positions that they take and i just i'm baffled by it it's just such a strange party now like how do you run how do you run for election not that they would win but how do you write run a campaign when your members are really not the same at all they're like opposites of each other ultimately yeah it's just a matter of time before they find out hey hey sitch do you want to give your your definition of woke, your take on sure. woke. Yours is like much different than mine. Oh, I'm interested. Well, so I think there's two components. There's the behavior and there's the ideology. And the behavior of it, I agree with you, it's kind of like this puritanical cancel culture, you know, my way of the highway sort of, uh, you know, we, we, need to, we need to use kind of cultural force to make sure everyone kind of falls in line. <clears throat> and that's kind of the behavior that I think people are kind of reacting to. And it seems weird for a lot of people who are, you know, I'm like in my 30s and for a lot of people who are around my age or older who kind of grew up with, you know, seeming like the the moral majority was the right, who were the one that was kind of trying to censor everything and cancel everything. And then the C, you know, around 2014, 2015, that kind of slowly shift over to the left 
it was kind of like a jarring experience, I think, for a lot of people. Um, but for the ideology of it, the way that I define it is that it's the idea that the various inequalities of our society can't be solved via liberalism and that there needs to be some kind of push towards a far more uh, leftist ideology to solve all the systemic injustices in our society and bring about equity. It's a good definition. Could could there be a right-wing version of that sitch where they're pushing for tradition instead of equity? Well, I mean, obviously there can be a right-wing version of the behavior, the ideology. I mean, you could play around with it, yeah, and say it's just the idea like you could rework that the the definition to be anyone who just thinks that liberalism is bad, I guess, and it's wants a to lot push of people to, on the right, <laughs> right, and wants to push to like a further, you know, edge of the spectrum to to get there, and that would be kind of like right wing wokeness. So, um, I mean, well, I it is yeah. about control though. Like in either direction, it's ultimately about control over others and sure. thinking that you got the right perspective. We are so right. You're so wrong. Cause you know, pe most people can't even agree what the, what the systemic racism looks like in society where, where it exists or where it doesn't exist. So it's one, ultimately one group decides, okay, we know we are the authority on this and we are going to force the set of you know, behaviors or values or actions on you. And mm -hmm. uh, if you don't agree with that, well, you're an idiot. <laughs> Essentially, right. tough luck. Well, I think that the insidiousness and part of the reason that like wokeness was like left-wing wokeness was able to sort of infiltrate a lot of colleges is, I mean, not only is there, there's a, there's a problem where whenever you have a group of people who are mostly like one direction, left or right, it seems like the extremists of that group are always going to very slowly be able to pull more and more people to that extreme because the like they're the extremists of people that are like highly motivated. They're the ones that are highly energized to kind of get things done, to kind of push people in directions. And moderates are kind of more like, you know, I don't want to be involved with this. So I'll just do whatever you say, just so you shut up kind of individuals. Yeah. And but I but I do think that there's a specific utility um, and kind of labeling just the left-wing version of it wokeness, at least in America, because part of the reason that the stuff was kind of able to come into our culture in America was, you know, America's very hyper aware of the threat of right-wing extremism. You know, we kind of fought against the Nazis and we had civil, you know, the civil rights and we had the idea of second class citizen for black people and we had slavery. And so I think because of all that, America's very sensitive to these kind of far-right ideologies, where despite the fact that we were in the Cold War for so many years, we never really had communism or socialism in America. And so I think that makes a lot of people blind to the threat of that be materializing. And that's really what this thing is, this kind of wokeness is. It's this you know anti-liberal socialist idea that everything is power games, that liberalism can't solve any of these problems. And I think that's why it was able to grab a hold because people don't know how to define it. They didn't know what this thing was that was sweeping through colleges that are sweeping through our culture. And until people can identify it, they can't really fight back against it effectively. Yeah, and there's a lack of appreciation, I think, of what you've got here um, going on because I think when immigrants come here, they really understand what 
right the value of the u.s or north america is or canada um, versus what there is sort of this hatred that a lot of people this sentiment that they have where they really sort of despise the u.s it's popular to sort of knock it down and 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 um you know say all these think that it is you know horribly racist horribly this or that and it just I, to me it comes a lot of it comes out of ignorance because you know as somebody who's lived in another several other countries but also you know spoken to a lot of immigrants one of the things they appreciate about the us is actually it is far less racist than a lot of the places that people come from mm-hmm. it is um it is a country that's you know there is a certain freedoms that are just we just don't take for granted because they were not given in these other countries and it's 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 strange it's strange to see how much that hatred i guess towards one's own country has steeped in the culture in the last you know x number of years and i think it's a big driver as well and not understanding that yes yeah, some of these systems like you know when somebody saw when somebody sees what happens under communism it's it's a lot of it is also about you know the idea of communism isn't an entirely evil idea if people consent to it right that's what perfect communism is it's where people consent i guess the closest thing where place you'll find is like a kibbutz in in israel or something like a communal living situation where everyone decided hey we're going to we're going to we're going to have this kind of communist socialist whatever you want to call it way of living everybody shares there's an equality but it's completely voluntary but in any large scale event where countries had enforced communism human nature is such that it does not you know because people don't opt in or opt out then it becomes about power and structures and and mm-hmm. that gets abused and that's just it's just human nature. Human nature cannot allow for utopia, essentially. So, but people don't understand that because they don't see how it manifests in, in practical terms. So they they view it just as an ideology and it just seems, sounds like really nice to them. Right. But, well, the, yeah. the irony is that for all of their talk of complaint about white privilege, it's the ultimate privilege as kind of what you're talking about, where all these people, especially young people, talk about how racist, sexist, horrible America, Canada is compared to when it's like compared to the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. It's like it's such a it's such a, a North American privilege that these people have. And it is really and it is upsetting. It is weird to see that so much of this self-hatred for you know your own country and for the West, the, you know, I call it the America Badlands, has sort of sunken into a lot of uh online spaces and it's kind of unfortunate because recently like at first you know it seemed like it was really like the woke left that the america badlands was really sort of uh you know taking over everything but now we're seeing it from the 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 further right uh too or this they both this, hate the us it's so true right yeah there's this sort of idea that like oh well maybe america is like the great evil empire and we need mm-hmm. to like burn it all down and there's a level of narcissism to that too uh because it a puts them in this position of like we're the special ones we're the powerful ones but also being so unique because 
you know, you go to uh, countries like, you know, Asian countries or Middle Eastern countries, it's not white people who are running things, right? It's a different group of people. And and in fact, if you show up there and you're white, you're probably not going to get treated that great by some people. And it, it's a lot harder for people to fit in. So it's this site, like, it's like they're taking something that only really manifests itself in the US, the way mm -hmm. they think about it, or, or in Canada or whatnot, and then they apply it to the rest of the world. But that's not true to the rest of the world. It doesn't extend. Like every country has their own kind of supreme rulers, if you want to of call course. it that. This, the group that sort of is more in control or has more power than, than other minorities, because minorities are minorities. They're always going to have less power just by default. Um, you know, unless you have this movement of <laughs> let's force. <laughs> right. Well, and that's, you know, they, they constantly conflate um, majority privilege with white privilege. Which is what mm -hmm. you're saying. Like, it's just the majority. Obviously, the majority, if, if you exist in some sort of majority group in any country, then your ideas, your culture will become like the norm or be seen as the mainstream. Exactly. And, you know, it's not necessarily anything wrong with that as long as you're not you know, uh, subjugating someone else or subjugating no, another group of people. No, if you go to Africa, people are going to have a very different culture, right? They're going right. to wear their hair a different way. They're going to eat food differently or, you know, they're going to have different cultural values and that's perfectly fine. That's their country. And um, and if you come there, you're like, you're, you're going to be the minority and you're going to try and fit into that just the way that you have this here where, where you know, people are going to, when I moved to North America, you know, I, I also work to fit in here, you know, by learning the language and, and sort of understanding the culture. And, you know, you might, you might maintain some of your culture and background. And I think that's, that's great. I think it makes the country richer. That's at least my view. But, but you also come in and you join a an existing culture. And of course, it's going to be dominant. Mm-hmm. There's a so, special guest, I see. <laughs> warmest right. part of the stream. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, because I, how does this all tie in into the the right wing wokeness, and where, where is that heading? Where, where is it heading? heading? Yeah, I am concerned about it because anytime I talk about this, I get a lot of angry messages. People get mm -hmm. really mad. And it's People not are, yeah. to me because I right wing wokeness just fascism. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I want what I want people to do is I just want people to be aware, just like I want people on the left to be aware of what has been going on and how they should like maybe adjust their behaviors and think things through and be more curious and tolerant and, and all of that. It's what, you know, I because I see the same pattern of behavior, it just hasn't taken full hold yet. It doesn't mean it won't. And 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 by the way, in states where, you know, there's certain legislation, legislature, oh, I can't speak today, but you know what word I meant to say? It's laws. Uh, laws thank you. Yeah. <laughs> there's certain laws that have been put into place um, and. And they are quite infringing on, on civil liberties. So, you know, power shifts all the time. And I see the power potentially shifting more to the right. In the, and you see that across the world, actually. So it's not just it's it's kind of a counter reaction. And, and the problem with counter reactions, like 
you need an opposition. Hold on. The law. Yeah. What are the laws? Are they? Are you talking about the book bans? Are you talking the book about book bans? Okay. And I looked at the book bans. By the way, it's like okay, it's one thing to be like okay, books shouldn't be that have like overt sexuality in them. So look, right? you're in favor of the book bans. <laughs> I'm not in favor of the book ban. Well, look, oh, it, oh, no, yeah, but the, the but, legislation is to keep these books out of out of public schools, right. which they're but not for, really book bans. I mean, I think the the book stuff is way overstated. It's book moderation, let's call right. it, which I think you are entitled to have some moderation when you're dealing with people under the age of eighteen. However, um, you can also say that some of them have gone too far. So when I looked at the lists of the well, book, let, let's not. What's what's something else uh, aside from the book? The book bans in quotes the like. There's a anti CRT bill which I, you mm. know, I would actually be in favor of. I think that's mm. okay. probably a good thing. So, I mean, I just, there are people who want to make, for example, this hasn't happened, but uh, there is uh, a, a more interest than I realized in in, for example, making um, no fault marriage. Oh, okay. okay. So, sorry, no fault divorce. I did see. <laughs> I did see uh, Vivek Ramaswamy making some rather interesting comments right? about, and he was running yeah. for for president. So. Yeah. I mean, there. But I he doesn't heard, have any legislative powers. So. Not just, yet. Right? All the all the stuff that I think people on the left ge uh, generally categorize as like mm -hmm. right wing overreach seem to be they're gassing up the public, and the things are really kind of innocuous. So the mm -hmm. the anti like the the but anti trans the wanted... bills are all like parental in uh are parental inform uh information bills in informing the parents mm -hmm. that the kids are want to change their pronouns at school and stuff like that. Yeah, I, I agree that parents should be informed. Is, is obviously. Yeah. I think a lot of it is misrepresented. I do think parents should be notified if that's the case. But mm -hmm. even with the books, though, like because I looked at the books, I did think maybe that was an overreaction because, OK, like if, if it's overtly sexual content, yeah, it shouldn't be in those libraries and they should make these like changes. But right. But the overreach aspect of it was a some of the books on that list just didn't it just didn't make any sense like okay. they didn't have any kind of content that really should have been banned. Um, and the other way is like how they dealt with teachers who might have sort of the wrong content in their classrooms and and sort of the prison time aspect as opposed to just you know some kind of a you know professional repercussion. Right, but. And so it, it gives a lot of leeway for weaponizing these laws. Abortion law is another one um, where beyond just like the pro-choice, pro-life argument, you know, there are laws where you cannot um, have an abortion or these laws have a chilling effect where doctors won't perform an abortion in cases where it's actually that's, a medical emergency. That's a, yeah, that's a good one. That's a good yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. So there was, those were some of the things. I mean, I don't think conservatives have, Republicans have enough power to enact a lot of very extreme things, measures right now and in a lot of places. But it doesn't mean that the temperament or the isn't there. It's just a matter of like how much power do certain entities get and how, how, authoritarian i guess they are and what they want to do they believe it's for the greater good i mean the other thing is i said like um they did ban a porn website in one state recently i mean i think there's some issues surrounding 
content like that that do need to be tackled. Obviously, trafficking is an issue. Kids seeing uh, being exposed to sexual content that's inappropriate is is a really serious issue. So those things do need to be addressed. And I think that could be a bipartisan effort. But there is, I have definitely heard a lot of conservatives or Republicans who are pro just banning uh, pornography. And it's not, I'm not saying, like, I'm not defending pornography, because I think it's such a like, amazing thing. But it is something that, that is a personal choice to a large extent. And it is something where you can have negative consequences sometimes that you think you're not going to get. So for example, and I need to search this up to, to, you know, really confirm, but for example, what one statistic that I heard was in a place where it was banned, sexual um, abuse went up or sexual assault went up. I've seen studies like that as well. So yeah. So, I mean, I think those kinds of things are, are really important to keep in mind as well. There's other consequences to, you know, forbidding things. And and you see some, somebody brought up recently where, you know, the countries that use porn the most are actually the most repressed countries um, in, in the world. So it's, so it's quite interesting to see how that correlates. And there's also people who will never, ever have access to, you know, somebody of the opposite gender and so <laughs> that is an outlet for them I, now i'm like i feel like Deni i'm defending denying porn, them pornography but, <laughs> seems cruel yeah it does seem cruel i mean <laughs> i just i just don't think and there's negative things that come from pornography of course but i think we can counter them in other ways then we can tackle it without like banning porn uh like fully and as you know like when things are not um when their things are made very legal, it's there's a whole industry of corruption that then builds around it. So like prostitution, right? Like in some places it's legal, and so it's actually a lot safer for for the people involved, versus in other places where it's very legal and people get away with you know horrible abuse. So there's it's much more complex than you know one's morality. Mm -hmm. I, with the right wing backlash, I see it more not so much with laws that are coming into play currently, but the potential for for what would be down the road when I see that, you know, more and more people, it's not like a huge amount of people, but I see more and more people on the right are sort of accepting the ideas that, um, you know, individualism and liberalism is actually bad that you know some extent science and like the scientific method is bad and you know there's a kind of a creeping christian nationalism that's kind of you know growing a Quite little bit strong right and there's sort of a you know anti-free speech that's growing you know a little bit more and there's you know these kind of various flavors of you know dissident rights uh anti-liberal ideas that are growing though i mean I, i'm not i don't know what's I, it's hard for me to, to predict what the future of that's going to look like to see how much of that, because so much of that's growing. And I you know predicted this years ago. So much of that to me is growing because it's a direct response to wokeness. It is. Yeah. It's a direct, yeah, it's a direct response to young men, especially young white men being told that they're horrible, racist pieces of crap. And that, you know, you have people kind of using their, their collective racial gender identity to leverage power away, you know, against uh, young white men. And so obviously whatever 
weapons and tools you use, your opponents are going to use them. If they're effective, your opponents are going to use them against you as well. And so that's kind of what's going on here. Um, but it's not, you know, I'm curious is to, to me, it seems like wokeness is not, you know, obviously hasn't gone away, but it definitely seems to be on the decline from where it used to be. People do seem to be kind of growing tired of it and standing up against it in far louder and far more mainstream places than they ever were before. Obviously, we still have a long way to go. But and I'm not really sure how this coming election is going to play into that is going to either amplify wokeness or oh, wow. not, depending on who wins. Not <laughs> all <laughs> depending upon who wins. Yeah. Like yeah, I, yeah. 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 I mean, I don't I have no clue. You know, if Trump wins, it could it could make the woke people, you know, hair go on fire. And then the mainstream media could use wokeness as they did to attack Trump as what they did in his first term. So that could definitely happen or the reverse of that could happen where, you know, Trump wins and he steps out wokeness. I have no clue. Um, but I, and I, to me, it's not clear, even though I am afraid of like the growing contingency of the dissident, right? It's not clear that once wokeness, I think goes away, if the dissident, right, will continue to grow and kind of take over, or if that too, will just sort of like fade off into obscurity as time progresses. Yeah, I mean, all the things that you mentioned, those are exactly my fears. I mean, I do see the the creeping Christian nationalism and this idea like, like, listen, anybody can practice whatever religion they want. They are entitled to that free, free practice, free association, all of that stuff. But like, mm -hmm. don't put that on me because suddenly right. you're telling me that, you know, and and I do see a lot of people advocating for this. Like we need our Christian values back. It absolutely is a counter reaction to what's been happening on the left. Yeah. But you know, I'm advocating for like a, a more calm, calm ground of like trying to change things without getting sort of radicalized in the process. That's that's the key. And I've seen a lot of people get who, who even started on the left get really, really, really radicalized over time. Yep. And it's just, it's like, I, I really wanted that to never, I really didn't want that to happen to me. And I was like very cautious with that and, and self-reflected a lot. But in terms of like where it's going, you know, if, if Trump wins, I mean, part of it feels like it really grew a lot more during Trump because Trump was seen as this existential threat, whether that's true or not, but he was was definitely portrayed as such on the left. Mm -hmm. And so the left sort of doubled down on things quite a bit. Um, in terms of things, whether people are growing tired of it, yes, I can tell you that people on the left are certainly also growing tired of it. They're starting to speak on it more than the, than I used to hear because people are being very strongly affected by this too, right? They are affected in this in in the industries that they're in, their friendship circles. Every time they know everybody knows somebody who's slightly misstepped in their you know knitting circle circle or something <laughs> like that. And it's like, so so I do see uh, a shift. And on the right, I think it's it's a stronger counter reaction to that because, you know, the gradually more and more people have sort of spoken up and pushed back. And some of them have even like been very successful as a result. And so people see that. And so they it sort of brings out their own courage and they're seeing numbers. So, you know, when you're the only one speaking out against it, it's really, really difficult. But now they have their own tribe of people who don't like this stuff, don't agree with it and are quite vocal about it. So I, I think we are going to start seeing a decrease in in sort of the wokeness. But whether that will lead to 
worse things potentially or equally bad things. I don't know. And then the other part of it, it is so institutionalized and that's going to be really difficult to change at scale specifically in things like, you know, academia in particular would be probably one of the most challenging. So, and I think people will sort of need to build new models and new institutions as well as trying to change things with from within and, and create that pressure for, for them mm -hmm. to sort of shift. Adam, do you have anything <laughs> you want to bring up? Well, I mean, this would be a good time to ask my question. Uh, what, do, what do you think will be less dangerous? We just mentioned, uh, you know, wokeness could... The stock is on the decline now, but if Trump wins in uh, November, we, we could see a resurgence. So w which do you think would be less dangerous if um, people believe that Trump will win, but Trump loses? Kind of like in the same way everyone believed Hillary Clinton would win, but then Hillary lost. I think that was, I think part of the shock of Trump winning was everyone just was kind of not expecting it. It came out of nowhere. So I think a lot of people could delude themselves into thinking Trump is going to win and be vindicated and he could lose to Biden a second time, which could uh, obviously drive people on the right crazy. Or do you think if, um, if people believe on the left that Biden will win and Trump will be vanquished forever and then Trump is their president for the next four years, do you think that would be more more catastrophic for our cultural environment honestly i see bad outcome either way yeah um, they both sound horrible but no and it doesn't even have to do with my like i do have uh you know if i were a voter mm -hmm. i i do know kind of who i'd vote for in this situation mm -hmm. well, you said, can tell us if you want or i mean nah oh, okay <laughs> you're like I'm staying out of this. I don't know what your viewers are like. I'm voting for I'm Vivek Ramaswamy. So, I mean, I'm oh, I'm completely God. safe. No, here. you're not. <laughs> I th it's RFK, isn't it? I can't even listen to RFK for five minutes without wanting to, like, gouge my eardrums out. That's not his biggest problem. <laughs> but it is with the voters. It is his biggest problem, probably, with the voters. I think I'm, I'm a legitimately undecided voter at the moment. I don't, That's I could fun. go, yeah, I, I could go either way. I, and a lot of it, I, a lot of it, I think revolves around this question because I just, either way, I think. Mm. Yeah, My I prediction don't. is I do think probably Trump will win because it's because he was made to be even more of a victim. And I just see such massive organization behind mm -hmm. him. And then the whole J six things and, um, and it's just there's a lot of uh, I've never really seen. Well, not never. I think Kennedy might have had the same kind of level of like real passion that people have towards him right. um, as a president. But Trump really has this like incredibly loyal fan base. And ultimately, it's it's about the undecideds, right? That's where it's sort of won. And a lot of people were pushed over actually by the fact that he was being prosecuted. Um, there's a lot of people where I heard them. So it's two things we'll decide a vote is how well you can mobilize the existing voter base. So the people who would gonna vote for him anyways, how passionate they are about going out and actually voting. Right. And two is getting those undecided. Um, and I think he's really good at mobilizing those um, who already support him quite 
quite good at that. And I think he's going to do better in this election, probably. And and I think because he he's seen as sort of prosecuted and people have such distrust towards the system, they will side with him. I don't know for sure if that's what's going to happen, but I have a sneaking suspicion. But as to which outcome is better, I mean, there is a personal bias that goes on of how I view Trump. Um, I don't have Trump derangement syndrome, but I, <laughs> but I. <laughs> Are you sure? Have you been diagnosed professionally? Not professionally. Um, <laughs> I've, but over time, I've actually soured more on him. I think I started off as being like, hmm, I don't know, media is being really unfair. Uh, some things that he says he really does, and some things are definitely taken out of context, and I try to be very fair. But I have also observed things that I just, I'm just not, that don't sit well with me. But um, I think some of his policy, I think policy wise, I think it, some of his policies are really not bad. Um, Oh, and, okay. Yeah, I wish the like Democrats would steal them. And, <laughs> um, but if Biden wins, I think I think if Biden wins, people will think who are Trump supporters will think that the election was stolen from him again, and they'll go even more crazy. And if Trump wins, I mean, I just saw the the true derangement <laughs> during his um. Either way, I think it's going to be such a wild. <laughs> Why I just I just don't see anybody winning in that race being like a positive thing for the U.S. It's like not I gonna, really it's don't. It's not going to end, huh? It it's isn't. not going to end. Yeah. They the culture needed, war is on. No, and I think they needed a. I think the Democrats did need to put in a, maybe a different candidate. Um, well, Haley could win. I mean, it's still early in the primary here, so. She just doesn't have that like, but it's hard to know because Haley supporters are usually less verbose. They're less public. And I think there is probably more of them than one might think. Right. Um, there's a lot of conservatives who really hate Trump. Like really, they have TDS, right? So I think people don't know that um, necessarily, but there's a lot of conservatives who really, really hate him. If If Trump wins the election, Okay, it's mm -hmm. it's November. He comes out of the winter on election night. Mm -hmm. Are you going to have a tough time sleeping? No, because I don't have TDS syndrome. Okay, well that that <laughs> that is our actually our test for TDS syndrome. Like, yeah, if you're going to go to bed and get a good night's sleep, you're going to tell yourself, "Look, it's four years. You know, at least he can't run again, <laughs> right?" <laughs> right. So. Right. Yeah. Well, for then, me, you, then you don't have TDS. We're we're accused of TDS all the time, but I mean, yeah. you can't be critical of Trump and not get accused of TDS. So. I'm not going to like cry about it. Mm. I am mm. going to worry. I'll probably get a few <laughs> extra grays. I am going to worry. Well, then but maybe you do have TDS. Maybe well, you actually do. No, because I, okay. Oh, no. It depends on whether it's based on like real things or not, right? I think mm. where it's TDS is where it's just emotion and it's not based on any like practical thing i actually should, worry about his foreign pro policy i worry <laughs> i worry you, about what the vision that's going to be ensue the chaos um i'm i'm here's how he tests tds or or any candidate you know derangement syndrome you ask people can you name a few good things 
and right. a few things you oh, don't yeah, want. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and you base it on like, can they do it? And can they do it in sort of concrete ways? And also you ask people, why do you think people voted for Trump? Oh, yeah. That's and a good and one. the people who hate him are gonna say, well, who have TDS, not people who hate him, people who have TDS. They're gonna say Racism. You know, because they're racist. Yeah, right. yeah. They yeah. want they the like white sexism. supremacist. Yeah. That's right. They like that he's a rapist. That's why they voted for him. Yeah, exactly. But if you just don't like Trump, but you are able to think critically about him, well, you'll say, you know, I think a lot of workers felt uh, underrepresented. You know, it felt like the Democratic Party sort of abandoned them. They saw certain social trends that were oppressive. Um they felt like they were ignored and vilified. There's there's a whole bunch of things, and they might talk about you know globalization and you know loss of jobs. Um, and Trump, for example, something that he did do right is he tried to bring some jobs back, and you know there is a level of that that I think is really healthy. Um, America should be producing more American-made products. Um, but anyways. Um, I think it's I think you can look at it whether somebody's being is able to see the other side without vilifying the other side's viewpoints. Some this, of them are racist, but that's not <laughs> the the thing uh, that you're doing, you know, uh trying to good faith Gary the other side the the your political opposition. It's very um John Stuart Mill. I'm I'm mm. wondering where you when did you decide this was a good thing to do or have you always kind of been uh, a lot of times people become extremely politically tribal. Have you ever been politically tribal or just I've always been open-minded like this? I think I have always been open-minded. And like I said, it's about curiosity for me. Like, I'm like, I really want to understand why somebody thinks what they think. But I, there, I had some role models that I really learned from or some experiences as well. Um, so for example, Daryl Davis, um, one oh, of the yeah. people who I actually interviewed him for a book that's, that's coming out today. Um, really? yeah, it's called, uh, no apologies. Really? And he was one of my interviewees and he is, um, so he's a black civil rights activist and jazz musician, but he's also really famous for talking to members of the KKK. And he now has a hood collection because a whole bunch of them left the KKK because of him, because of the friendships. And they couldn't be the same way once they got to know him. And I also remember seeing this guy who was also part of the KKK on TV and he was an active you know, member. He did commit crimes. He went to prison and you know, it's somebody who had judges horrible based on their actions and thoughts. But that same guy now actually works to get people out of the KKK. So the idea being is that you don't know how somebody fell into this mind trap. And if you try to understand it and have civil dialogue, sometimes people might change their mind just by being exposed to someone who isn't, you know, attacking them and, and judging them or figuring it, or maybe it's a lack of information, a lack of context. And so, you know, that is a philosophy that I very much subscribe to and have been inspired by people like Daryl Davis. And that, that has been, 
a big motivator for me. Now, I sometimes do struggle to talk to some people. Like sometimes I do get a little bit more emotional and, and, and that's not where I want to be when I'm conversing with people like that. But, um, but it shows you that people can change and, um, not everyone as he tell as he says in the book, he's like, I'm, you know, I'm probably going to go to the grave. Some people are going to go to their graves, you know, being hateful and racist and all that stuff. But some people change. And I've seen a lot of people change their views on all sorts of things. Like people, you have to give people that grace to change. And you can only do that with conversation, including yourself, you know, myself, you know, I can change my views too. And I should be willing to. Yeah, the thing I love about Daryl Davis is it just it's a testament to the power of listening. Nobody yes. in this day and age wants to listen to anything. Well, because <laughs> he didn't try he didn't try to convince them, hey, stop yeah, being exactly. racist. He didn't yeah, yell exactly. at them. He listened yeah. to their experiences. They felt like they were actually being heard by somebody. They're like, Wow, a black guy that's actually cool. I can't yeah. believe it. So it completely exactly. changed their outlook on everything. Yeah. That's kind of why I go like sometimes on some of the, the shows where like my ideological viewpoints are very different from the hosts um and you know i i want to model that behavior and i want to people to see like oh look a liberal who's not attacking me who's being who's not you know calling me a racist like i think it's important to show people through your own actions that this is possible that you can have i've talked to ne nazi so, so not nazi supremacists but uh <laughs> like people who like true white supremacists right mm -hmm. who hate jews and all that and um you know i remain really really calm really friendly and polite and nice to this person i killed him with kindness and and i just was like oh tell me like why do you feel this way what about this and i just had a conversation with the guy and he started he was definitely trying to provoke me and it went from there to like him really apologizing for being so rude. <laughs> and Dude, uh, that, that, that is, I mean, as far as psychology goes, that's the way to win people over. But in this environment, if you are nice to someone that anyone perceives as, you know, uh, detestable, yeah. you are the one that they will come after. You, they, you know, by association. They, yeah. They feel it's your obligation to, to put them in their place this person. yeah exactly how how that that just sets us up as a society for failure how are we go ever going to come together if you're obligated to kill the person on site well that's why people get more extreme right because they we no longer talk so they they get more and more extreme because they'll only talk to people who also share those same extreme views and for me i i really look at it i'm very practical in a way right mm -hmm. because what is going to serve this situation better? Me to scream at the guy and say, you're a racist, you're an anti-Semite. Like, what is that really going to achieve? Nothing. He's just going to be like, oh, these sensitive Jews. I don't know, whatever he's going to think. And for me, like, but if he has a conversation with someone who's who shows them, look, this person is like, pretty nice, like engages in good faith, isn't attacking me. Maybe he'll like have a little bit of curiosity to maybe learn more and think maybe, maybe I don't have it quite right. And it's not about me trying to convince him because I also know that that's not going to work. Um, but, but I think that engagement and that just opening up somebody to curiosity and, and being like, okay, you know, maybe, maybe I don't have this quite right. 
and and planting that seed and and then watering that seed at some point i think that's that that's going to have much greater better consequences for our society than me being like virtuous and being like oh you 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 evil i have to shut you down yeah i put a link to your book in the in the chat and i'll put a Thank link you. in the description as well i i really like the name of your book the only time that I really get angry with people on the show is when they try to muscle a public apology out of me. So your book is called No Apologies, <laughs> which I'm completely, uh, I completely agree with. So, you, And I'm I a mean, very apologetic person generally, but I think if you like, if you know you're right or you believe you're right anyway. Public so, apologies um, are always bullshit. They're always they bullshit. They're, they're, you don't owe to anybody an apology unless you've wronged them. Like yeah, if you exactly. wrong them, then you go to them exactly. and you apologize and make amends and behave better in the future, which is the best apology is like changing your actions. But yeah. when it comes to, you know, with the public, like why do I owe the public an apology if I was just rude to Joe, you know? Yeah, exactly. Joe can fuck off. <laughs> I would apologize to Joe if 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 I really wronged Joe, if I believe that I wronged Joe. But if you don't believe that you wronged somebody or said something that, you know, was so horrible, then yeah, you should not. You should not give in to the mob because yeah. that's not yeah, it's not Joe gonna serve get anybody. Over, Joe can get over it like an adult. <laughs> Joe can <laughs> Joe can absolutely get over it, and we need to we need to have to have more resilience. Listen, after I've read all the comment sections of all the shows there, no, not all of them, but like I'm not reading this. You one, don't, don't read, yeah, don't. I'm not reading, so don't subject yourself to that. So yeah, okay, I can already tell. Our, but our comments are usually a lot nicer than other people. I've seen other people's okay. comments. And I'm like, oh god, what's going on? Well, here? the Tim Pool comments were like, oh. let's let's talk let's talk about the Tim Pool because look i reached out to you because you were on tim pools the culture war probably like six months ago or so mm -hmm. and i was super super triggered um one i know of the and i thought that, it was about me first i'm like oh how did i trigger him but i'm glad it wasn't me one of the things and this is another thing that constantly triggers me on the show when people just straw man me when i'm like they make up some argument that's completely incendiary and Tim Pool kept doing this to you. And I was just like, oh my God, this is so bad. But he kept trying to put you in a box saying that you were pro-war. And yep. to me, the analogy is saying, you know, if you support the right to self-defense, you're pro-violence. Like, yeah. just admit it, you're pro-violence. It's like, no, I'm, I'm pro-using violence as a way to defend myself, right? And in the, in the case of Ukraine, it's obviously... Self-defense. You're not pro-war if you're supporting a nation who has the right to defend themselves from invaders. Yeah, and my point was like, well, if even if you're um, pro them making some kind of a peace agreement with the country that attacked them, well, okay, that's fine. At some point, they can, but if they are not in the best position to negotiate that, right? You can't just then. Then you're just saying that that country has the right to walk all over them and do as they please and continue to do that. The reason that Ukraine needed to fight back and have that strength is because that's how they, um, even if they do come to the negotiating table, which at some point probably will happen, they need to be in a position of strength, not weakness. And if you withdraw any kind of support, 
then you're putting them in a position of weakness where it's not a negotiation, it's a hostile takeover. Yeah. Yeah. Sit, you have anything to you you watch the Tim Pool discussion as well, right? He's frowning. <laughs> Sit, you maybe you're muted or you, maybe you're ran off to the bathroom or something, but the the another thing that I, I don't know if you followed up afterwards, but the part of the discussion that you had involved, what, what, actually give me just your take of the, the back and forth. What was your, what was your assessment of this, of it after you had done the show? I think he got offended because, um, I called him. He got offended. Tim got offended before we started filming. Oh, really? Okay. Because I, he sees himself as a centrist and I said mm -hmm. that he was a right way because right. if anything I'm closer to being a centrist than certainly than he is and um I think that I don't know how offended I mean I just think that's part of his style is that he does this like back and forth um for me it was it was an interesting concept because I haven't really done a debate debate before and there was it was also two sort of against one and I and originally I thought that the person um Ashley who was also on the show um Ashley St. Clair she was going to be debating me so I'm like the token lefty she's the righty and um we were going to debate and then Tim kind of took over. So then it, this happens I, every show. I don't know if you watch the show regularly. Yeah, but it, but it was it's like, like early Tim in the third wheel. Yeah. And I think she felt she might've felt that way because, you know, if she goes too strong, it's like, it looks really, really bad. And so it just left her in a kind of a strange um, position, I think in some ways. Um, and then I think his audience sometimes sympathized with me because it did feel like, it was on the attack. I didn't feel attacked in the moment. Like I, it's just a little bit different. Like I, I do take a little bit more time sometimes to get my thoughts together and I need to reflect on things. And, um, and it sort of goes bam, 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 switch topic, switch topic, switch topic. And then certain things come out of nowhere. And I'm like, I don't even understand the argument you're making. So, um, but you know, I, I, I didn't suffer through it. And then afterwards we did play poker and I, unfortunately this was the worst part I lost. Oh really? Really wow. badly. Yeah. And he's very competitive. What kind of uh, poker did you play? Uh, just, just regular. Hands. Yeah. Yeah. And That's for cool. money, because apparently they don't do it unless money is involved. So, well, I hope you didn't like miss the mortgage payment. Or something. No, it was, it was just a token amount, but you know, but it definitely stung because I thought I'd hang in there a lot longer. I was going to show these people who's boss and just didn't happen. I liked his career a lot. They were like really, I mean, it was quite fun. And I did a lot of accents, which I probably shouldn't have done. And then I drank, um, they had this right wing beer. I forget what it's called exactly, but I think it's called like something like right wing beer. Mm -hmm. And um so i just thought it was like a really funny can so i drank it and then i took a picture and i posted it and the owner of the company said how did you like it and i said oh it's almost as good as as uh bud light sure <laughs> i never that. responded to that which missed opportunity i was just being you know i was friendly ribbing hazing yes you know, bonding 
Tim Tim does get accused of, I mean, being right wing all the time. I think the show that you were on is the first time that I actually was like receptive to the claim that he is really right wing because mm. he was he does defend a lot of these right wing narratives that I do think are factually incorrect. He the the Biden firing Shokin the prosecutor in Ukraine. We've gone over that. Mm. We've debated people on it. I think his facts are completely incorrect there. Mm -hmm. But he continues to to bring it up. He brought it up with you. The you the Ukraine war. It's like all of his positions completely align with the right wing perspective narrative. Even if the facts, I think, are. Well, and he can claim that people on the left don't want to come on his show as much, and that's fine. But like, but the topics that he chooses to tackle, right? If he was in um, completely, you know, a centrist as he as he views himself, well, then the topics would be a little bit different because um, he gets to choose what he has on the show. But everything seems to more align with like a particular conservative position, and you know we you know, you could have an episode on prison reform, right? Like I have a podcast and some of the topics, you know, I'll tackle all sorts of things like homelessness and, and, uh, and AI. And, you know, there's just a more, more, I try to have a little bit more variety. And I think somebody with his platform, he could absolutely have, um, you know, other topics of discussion. So it's okay to have some, right-wing views on some things but if it's everything or if that's all you're you're actually like covering then it does align more with the right so i don't know why i was quite surprised actually that he pushed back on that and maybe at some point he was more of a centrist because i think when i first came across him i probably viewed him more that way but looking at his show now I mean, I think his audience would agree with me. In fact, I know they have, because when I've said it, they, they're, well, they we, have. We, I mean, we've, we have called ourselves centrist. I call my, I, I'm like center left independent. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. and a lot of times people listen to the show and they, you know, I'll say something that's very right wing and they'll just assume that I'm right wing. And then I'll say something very left wing. We talk about like UBI and MMT and mm -hmm. stuff like that. And they're like, oh my God, this guy's a total Well, I'll left say winger. this whole time that we've had this discussion, I was like, I can't tell. Okay. So I think you succeed because I really, I mean, I, I've gone back and forth in my assessment because of things that you say are not like, they don't really fit on either side very it's, concretely. It only matters what the internet can make up and, and <laughs> convince people. So, yeah. But the, the, the thing that I always try to do, and especially like if you want to to talk about the the Shokin thing and and the prosecutor being fired and all that, I can give you both the left wing and the right wing narrative, and I can show you where you know there's weaknesses in both, and you know in some sometimes there's situations where we just I mean we really can't know, we really don't have enough information to know. And people will always lean to their side, lean to their narrative. And I will kind of keep both narratives open because I'll be like, we don't have conclusive proof here. And you can't really should, say that. 
more yeah. people should do that. I'm often very undecided on things, and I think people give me people don't like that about me. They I don't think like it. Yeah. No, they don't like it because it's uncomfortable, and it's uncomfortable. Like if it's uncomfortable for them, for me not to have a position, think how it feels for me not to have. Because I kind of go, I I do want to have a degree of certainty about whatever it is that I'm saying, whatever my position is, and it's true. I sometimes don't have all the information or have a lot of information, but I can really see both sides of it, and it makes it very difficult for me to really make like a very very strong stand uh take a very strong position so often i won't and um or i do change my mind a lot like i maybe maybe too much i don't know but I, then at the same time i think some people don't change their minds enough so maybe there is more of a middle ground but it is just how I am. I, I can't I can't really do much about it. I need a lot of information to make up my mind. And sometimes I'm I can because I just see the points in each position really, really well. And ultimately how I feels how where I stand on something is based on feelings, not not logic, because the facts kind of support either position. Yeah. It, sometimes you gotta use your intuition to a certain extent. So but I'm always aware of that. But the, the, so we have a lot of overlap with Tim in this, you know, people perceive of us, people who watch a show perceive of us as centrist, but other people online, mm. they want to target us and turn us into whatever they yeah. want, you know, communists or Nazis seems to be like <laughs> Me the too. take. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, but I, I mean, for the first time, I, I mean, I used to be a lot more generous with Tim about that just because mm -hmm. I was in a similar situation, but yeah. I'm like, I'm less and less when <laughs> he's just completely, you know, selling a narrative that I just, I think is factually incorrect. And I, I mean, I've been following Tim Poole since the beginning and Tim Poole used to be much more about you know, straight news journalism and, mm -hmm. and wanting to give people the facts. So it's a, it's a tough environment though to survive. People don't and want that's the facts. a big part of it. Yeah. That's really a big part of it because those people who do really well with their substacks and the YouTube channels and all of that, I think largely are going to lean in more of what their audience wants. So they have that audience capture. And yeah. and even if you're not making a living, just being on social media, I mean, you see it a lot and you have to be able to actively reflect and, and fight against that te uh, tendency and, and just stick with what you really believe and based on your research and not based on what the audience wants. But the people who get the most financial support, you know, it's almost impossible not to get it unless you lean in into some of these things. And I know that I've, I mean, as somebody who doesn't, it's like very, very difficult um, to, to gain that level of like zealot loyalty because it's cause-based ultimately, right? People, people donate or, or buy in or, you know, your advert, whatever. It's all based on like their emotional, connection to the cause um True. there's some yeah. exceptions but like i i think trigonometry is a pretty good example because i think they have sort of remained um yeah centrist and um not they're, quite they're definitely on the on the closer on the right wing side i mean we have uh, we have a larger right wing audience than left wing mm -hmm. audience so we would definitely be in that mm -hmm. trigonometry 
face. We, we fight with our audience all the time and it probably hurts us mm. financially, but what are you going to do? <laughs> well, it's true, but it, that is integrity. And um, well, I think with trigonometry, I wouldn't say, I mean, I think some of the topics, some of the people they brought on definitely are more than right. Um, but they do push back a little bit. And and I would say the two guys hosting it, one would, I think they would see themselves on the left. They wouldn't see themselves on the right, but kind of center left and um, but not even there. Like, I, again, these categories are sort of outdated, like, because it, it assumes I have some views that would be considered progressive, like prison reform, drugs, medicine. I would say my views are pretty progressive on those fronts. I have some views that are more conservative, like um, I think a lot of fiscal things to some extent. And then maybe immigration would be another one, not crazy right wing views, but like you know, I do believe in forcing borders, for example. Um, I don't, I've, honestly, it shouldn't yeah, even not, be a left right. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I mean, oh. Biden is doing a legislation now, right? So it's not like even super right wing, but. Yeah, the left is going to become super border hawks here pretty quick. <laughs> yeah. Well, they have terrorists coming in. I didn't even know this. Like, I, they, I really did think that the right was making a big fuss of this. And then I realized, oh, like, it is a legitimate security threat. And it's like yeah you should do something about that like if you have people on a terror watch list in 2022 i believe it was 100 people that they found right so some yeah. got in they did fine and then in 2022 doubled and then this year uh, sorry 2023 doubled and then this year it's already like at 50 and this is just january so something is going on and it's just it's just fact-based to address it. Like it's not about any kind of ideology. It's just practicality. So I guess well, I'm like practical is, ideologically. <laughs> yeah. Look, I'm a total pragmatist too. This is mm -hmm. one of the things that I hate that the left has done. And I, I'm not sure that the right has really done this, but the left has kind of conditioned people on the left to reflexively ignore anything that the right says. And, mm -hmm. and and think that it's just they're playing it up for some sort of political advantage when they do have legitimate grievances and i i kind of conceptualize left and right and i i don't think the i don't think the terms are are outdated i do think there is kind of this left wing that evolves in every society and the left is is more of the offense like they're the ones that are always trying to push the culture forward and mm -hmm. the right is always cautious of the gains that we've already made. They're more worried about losing what we've already accomplished. So there is kind of this push and pull between and you the need people. Both. Yeah, you totally need both. Yeah. It's like I I I wish that we lived in a society where we where people were educated in this way and they understood that certain people have an intuition for safety and security. Mm -hmm. they're, they're worried that we're gonna, you know, piss away everything that we've done for society and then there's other people who are are worried that we're missing opportunities in the world that we're not taking advantage of everything that we could could be doing so i just those intuitions are both mm -hmm. useful if you think of it like a football team what good football team has only defense or only offense you need both both sides of the coin in order to be successful well think about um something like a topic that i'm really i've been very interested in and doing a lot of research is ai 
and yeah. AI. Okay, you you need people who want to progress in order to push the technology forward, create cool things, find applications for it. But if you don't have people saying, hey, you need to be careful yeah. here and maybe we need to put some safety blocks here and maybe not in a free-for-all completely, then that's a problem. But I do see like even as I'm talking about this particular topic, it's interesting because I, I was the one wanting to put some safety blocks were advocating for it recently in a conversation. And it was actually the more uh, people more on the right who were arguing with me about not wanting to do any well, of look, that. that. I think the labels could be mixed up in the same way. Mm -hmm. Like I think libertarians are monomaniacally focused on individual rights, individual yeah. freedoms. I think they suffer from psychological reactants when people tell them, you can't do something. They want to do it more than ever. So I just, I feel yeah. like they're them ending up on the right is just kind of a, a miss a, a misunderstanding that will ultimately be worked out. I do. I do think mm -hmm. people who have kind of weaker intuitions can find themselves classified in any camp because they're just going to where the people they associate with are a lot of people mm -hmm. that they're friends with, they call themselves liberal or they call themselves aggressive or they call themselves communists they're like oh, i'm a communist because True. everybody around me is saying that's common. the cool thing to be yeah well i, I think I communists don't... feel like a little outcast too sometimes. what <laughs> i mean hassan is like the biggest twitch streamer uh hassan piker i don't hmm. look i think it's cool to be a communist now <laughs> wow. yeah if you're if you're gonna be like him then yeah it's best not to be he's not a good model of what a communist looks like well, he is capitalistically very successful, which is financially. So the irony of that is is quite fascinating. He is. He is. Uh, we've made a lot of videos about Hassan because he is like. No, oh. I have talked funny. to some. I have talked to some like really interesting communists though, who kind of understand that this is not going to happen. So I think they're just more um, intellectually interested in the idea, and they are really like thoughtful and and well-read and actually pretty open-minded doesn't happen that often Communist? but i have a few yeah yeah have so, you talked to ben burgess because we've ben burgess drives me crazy <laughs> like, uh, yeah i know i mean I they're have just him on the, sh I'm on the show we, we've talked to him and i just look i'm one of these people that wants to drill in on a topic very specifically like i want to mm -hmm. dissect it and some people you talk to and it's just like topic bingo it's like come on we're trying to we're trying to narrow things down here not move on to like 15 different things so i should look ben i'm on good terms with ben ben is has been on the show a couple of times but okay and i think last time he was on i brought this up i was like listen we're gonna focus on the topic here no, but we need to, we do need to talk to, you know, again, like everybody, including people on the fringes, uh, sometimes not everyone's going to have the same appetite. You know, I wouldn't force anybody to do it. I wouldn't force myself to do it because sometimes I really, really don't want to. But, um, but I do try. Um, I've struggled, you know, I've come across some very radical individuals in the last little while. And it has really challenged my um, <laughs> ability to to sort of communicate, um, but probably should make more of an effort because 
I, I, and by the way, I don't, I think some people I will never, ever, like I can tell they're not going to come up from the fringe, but people who have a little bit of self-doubt might, or willing to listen, they might. And, uh, yeah, I should at you're, least you're, the Look, you're talking about changing people's minds. Is that? Mm. Uh, well, that sounds kind of authoritarian of me, isn't it? Well, no, look, if you can do it persuasively, it's not authoritarian. Well, I do it. Obviously. I don't even do it with, look, I, I. I believe when I believe their minds are made up because of limited information, all I can do is like, I'll present more information. I'll give them more context. It's their free will, whether they want to change their mind. I'm not going to, uh, I'm not going to manipulate them into it. I'm not going to like force them into it, change their minds. I mean, a little manipulation is, I, mean, <laughs> a little manip I used to be more, you, look, you gotta, yeah. Well, persuasion persuasion is, is 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 being effectively able to communicate your ideas that's per persuasion is and um look if i believe in something i you know i want to be persuasive in how communicate them because i want to be accurate i feel is, like the is idea persuasion manipulation them. is persu is no. persuasion manipulation it is when your intent is like if you're omitting information in order to persuade you know if you're right. if you're only presenting one side intentionally hiding something but if you're just saying listen this is why i believe this was what you might be missing um from the conversation here's here's maybe something you might want to look at i don't think that's manipulation i think it's providing somebody additional context it's building their world up it's actually giving them something like i find it when somebody argues with me or disagrees with me and they do it in good faith they're giving me a gift of of knowledge of of the ability to question myself to challenge my own perspectives so that's what i would like to do for other people when i can so many people though they they don't want they don't want the truth like they're not in, really even prepared to engage in good faith though so i mean look obviously i'm having i i'm trying to have a good faith conversation with you it feels like you're trying to have a good faith conversation with me I don't know that we're really doing the persuasion thing. It doesn't seem like you're trying to persuade me of anything. No. I don't, I mean, I really, and it's it, on the show. I think it offends some people. Like we've had conversations with people who it, they really want us to come out and like endorse Biden or <laughs> like they, they think, mm -hmm. you know, that we, we have a, I mean, we have a decent sized audience and they think if we're not trying to convince those people that they should vote for whatever candidate mm -hmm. they want, then we're doing, we're not doing the Lord's work, I guess. So. Oh yes, but yes. I I very look. I very seldom try to play the persuasion game. Mm -hmm. I do. I mean, I I have different policies. Like I'm super interested in UBI, and I've been trying to convince myself as long as we've been doing this that UBI will work. That UBI is something that will happen and be good for society. Kind of in the same way that you know. There was a time when they thought if they got rid of slavery, it would cause everything to just fall apart. Well, you and know, UBI, they were wrong. Was, UBI yeah. was actually something I changed my own mind on. Um, oh, really? Because I was but quite for or against. Uh, I'm now for, but I, I used to oh, okay. have my, yeah, my wow. knee jerk reaction was I was very anti UBI mm -hmm. and I had different reasons for it, but, uh, but I've actually changed my mind and a lot of it has to do with the technology that's coming and the changes that are coming in oh, the world, yeah. specifically with AI. And I've arrived at this conclusion that it's probably going to be necessary. So I think maybe like when Andrew Yang suggested that and, and you know, when he ran for president, that was like a little bit too early. 
Um, and I think we're still a little bit early, but it is something that we probably should be thinking about in the future. And there's a lot of people who disagree with me, including I think my own parents. But um, but I do find it. I think we might have to have that. It's just it's just not you, you can't quite avoid it. And it, it will be a necessity and it, it could have a really positive transformation. We should plan for it, though. We should. That's why we need to have these conversations. But yeah, yeah no. I completely changed my mind. I, I think we should we should put it in place we and start with just like 50 bucks a month just like mm. just to get the thing up and running get people used to getting like fifty dollars a month as you you'd have to start it small to get to make it universal obviously mm. there are these different basic income pilot programs that have have been enacted in certain cities but they're always means tested like the real test of it is the universal part which yeah. I, I think uh, I think it really could change things, but it will be obviously a necessity. Once I think it will be, yeah. yeah. Human human labor is going to be. It's just going to be, it's going to be subpar. <laughs> it's going to be like, why would you use human labor on this? Yeah. What are you trying to kill me? You use human labor to fix my car? Yeah, but I think there are things that are humans are uh, exceptional and unique at, and those are going to be the things that our society is going to value more. Uh, really? Oh, man. I always see AI. You don't think so? Well, it, this, look, I know it's controversial, the AI art thing, mm. and I, I myself am an artist. Yeah. I, I've mm. been an artist my entire life. So it huh. just, it's interesting to me that some mindless computer can, can pump out, you know, dozens and dozens of these just amazing aesthetic images and um some people spend their entire lives and just can't even compete like that just it's no but it depends on like i won't own you know so for example i've used ai art uh when mm. I, I have my sub stack and i'll um you know put a visual there and that i will use um ai generated image is on but a friend of mine who's an illustrator she's like this is ai isn't it she's like <laughs> i could tell right away she's not happy but uh and fair it, you can see but it's going to get better it's going to be harder to distinguish but you know that's a stock image essentially right when it comes to anything that's going to really say something that's i i just don't think like i wouldn't own a painting generated by ai there's a painting that won a competition that was AI. And listen, that's my opinion. Other people have looked at it and they're like, wow, this is so beautiful. I look at it and I just don't see it. It is beautiful from an aesthetic, you know, just a right, perspective. Yeah. But it isn't, but it doesn't say anything. There's nothing to it to like connect with. It it doesn't feel human. And the imperfections are also something that makes us human. And then I think the other aspects, like I think things that are going to become more popular are anything that's artisanal. You know, the hipsters are really going to have their moment to shine. Um, I think handmade things, anything that's like very crafty, people are going to want that uniqueness, that authenticity of like made by a human, not machine. I think certain art, humor, you know, people say they can, it can replace writers, but it it mimics things and it can get, it's going to get, you know, really good and it's already good at some things, but it doesn't, it doesn't process it through like one's experience, one's lens, one's emotion. And 
people are not going to connect with it in the same way, but it can be really good at, say, generating news, you know, like writing here, a human being goes on the ground, reports, gets you some facts, puts it into the machine, and very quickly you've got an article. A human doesn't really need to write that article because there's going to be nothing unique about the human's ability versus the machines, and the machine's going to do it faster. But there's still things that I think humans are going to be able to do better that matter more to people. And I think that's where the focus is going to be. Some customer service, like if you have a human being um, in some areas, that's going to be like a premium experience as opposed to like everything is done by machine. (laughs) I can't look. You can't be serious about that because that is like. I know. We hate humans right now. but (laughs) The machine experience would be so much better than the human depends on how well the human does their job like that interaction (laughs) so if you go into a shop and the human is like a jerk or indifferent doesn't or incompetent you definitely prefer to deal with the machine (laughs) but that's like 90 percent of customer service interactions now you're dealing but that's going to mean that the people who go into customer service because now it's going to be this premium experience you're going to get the best humans doing it (laughs) because they're competing with the machine so they're going to have to outdo the machine so i think that's probably where like no okay it's okay we can disagree i won't try to convince you but i'm right look on on the art thing (laughs) tell me what you think of this because as a lifelong artist like i've always had friends friends have always like watched me paint always been fascinated by the fact that i do paint consistently always strive to own an original work for me Mm -hmm. we always end up inevitably you know we're drinking we're out for drinks we're hanging out and they always come to me with the pitch they're like this is my idea for a painting and they want and they their ideas like for me to execute this now i can literally develop a an ai that can paint in my style (laughs) i can just send them to the ai knock yourself out you but you still create content so but you're using it as a tool they still created the um you still created the style and yes, then they but... are and and also it requires a certain creativity to give uh feedback to an ai to get an interesting image like it's you, true it's true yes so, so there is a cre- inherent creativity in there that comes from humans still so there's people who are like ai artists now and some are good some are not right so there is a reason for that some of them it's imagination being able to like you know know how to give the prompts to the to the technology and all of that to the tools that they're using but you know people will buy prints and some people will buy the original right i personally don't like buying prints uh, or at least i I will buy a print if it's cheap i won't spend like a lot of money on well you're you're judging it on a completely different criteria uh, Mm because there is in fine art there is the component of you know the story behind it the reason why they mm-hmm. want to own a picture that i've painted is because they're friends with me they're like yeah. they, they want a piece of my sure. life yeah mm-hmm. and and you don't obviously you don't get that with ai a, with ai you're complete you're competing purely on aesthetics the, mm-hmm. the problem that i have is people can't seem to separate the two and say look if we're just judging on aesthetics, we can line up images that are made by humans and line up images that are made by right. by AI and judge them aesthetically. A lot of times you really, I mean, you can mix, you, you may not know if the image was created by a human or an AI. Mm-hmm. I just, I think sooner or later, just doing that exercise blind, 
the AIs are going to way out compete the humans. And and look, I also as an artist, people always want to mm-hmm. show me their art, mm-hmm. and I just I I like seeing the AI art from people better because it <laughs> tends to be a lot better. Uh, we'll so. see. I don't know. You might you might be the one proven right. I we'll I'm s- I'm being a little stubborn here, so I, I that's okay. look. I'm not trying to convince you. I've looked. no no no. <laughs> I know, but we are disagreeing, and that's okay. Like the, by disagreeing, you getting me to consider your perspective, which is not manipulation. It's just like okay, let me think about this from a different angle. A little and, manipulation. It's like a safe cracker or a pickpocket. No. <laughs> <laughs> just like that <laughs> have you ever learned uh my parents taught me how to crack uh safes and break into houses really yeah wow. it, it was oh part of our a tradition yeah i'm, I'm absolutely <laughs> lying i'm lying i, I, I should have <laughs> stuck with it but that's a that is a storied past yeah <laughs> aren't you, be, yeah. you i think you said you were from ukraine on your yes yeah yeah i was like the ukrainian parentage they're always like yes now yes, you will learn the safe <laughs> I don't know what that accent cracking. even was, but uh, it's uh, some sort of an accent. Uh, uh, how well, how we, you say <laughs> we, accent? We should probably wrap up. We've been talking. I've been talking your ear off for about two hours now, but the we've officially lost Sitch. Sitch texted me and said he got food poisoning, so he ducked <gasps> out. Oh yeah. no! Oh god, that's horrible. Oh, that's. Yeah. Ugh, I've only had it like once in my life, and it was like one of the most. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> Yeah. I hope that's not what happens to him. I'm just saying. Well, look, I've had food poisoning a bunch of times and it's never, never killed me. So I was it didn't kill looking... me either, I think, unless I'm a ghost. I am as pale as one right now, but yeah. I was kind of looking at super chats and seeing if any of the super chats were directly related to our conversation here, but it looks like a lot of them are off topic. So maybe Sitch and I can jump on tomorrow and read the super chats toxic mix gave us a super chat for 50 dollars, which i'll just read because it's such a generous super chat obviously so uh movements and ideas rarely just go away they more often morph or attach themselves to another movement if you're truly afraid of maga you're almost better off having trump win but be ineffective than lose uh and further radicalize the movement that's, I mean, that's a take. I, um, a take. It's well, an interesting look, take. I, I, and look, I, people, I, I worry. I'm in Los Angeles, obviously. So I have a bunch of friends and family with TDS. <laughs> so yes. this, this is a very controversial take, but I do, I'm leaning towards it's safer for the country for trump to win and have a second term and not be able to run again than to lose and and convince everyone that the election was stolen yet again and obviously probably be running in 2028 or i i I just i think if trump has if trump has a second term i think we can weather the storm and He'll get, he, you know, he'll, uh, uh, hopefully he'll turn away from wanting to use the state to go after his, his yeah. enemies. Because yes. I think most of it is he just, he wants, look, it's a weird thing in America. Like the highest status, one of the highest, if not the highest status in America is a two-term president, right? Mm-hmm. It's odd that a one-term president is considered a loser. Like I would say a, a, 
a, a CEO probably has higher status than a one-term president. Like that's how, that's the, that's the difference between a one-term and a two-term president. So mm. I just, Trump feels like a schmuck. He's never going to go away. That schmuck, he's going to take that schmuck feeling out on all of us. What is your, what is your take on that? I know it's a controversial opinion. I don't know. I, I mean, I think there's truth to this. Uh, I mean, I don't like the idea of a president who has these like oh it's a terrible idea <laughs> just some per personal vendettas and like uh we're gonna like call him a schmuck or or sorry i'm gonna feel like a schmuck because i lost one uh one election and i'm gonna now like mobilize people against structures of governance and never let it go um because that does a lot of damage um so he's not putting the country first. He's putting himself first. At the same time, if he won, would it kind of appease people to an extent where they're less radicalized? Maybe, you know, maybe. And would he do a lot of damage, I guess, is the other question. I worry about the international relations side. I don't think it was bad on all international relations, by the way, because I think people saw him as sort of, a, you know, like a... The, the more dictatorial people saw him as being unpredictable. Yeah, in and, a way that helped us. I actually, yeah. I think he's better on the international stuff. I think some of you. that, I do think he is potentially better. Um, so would he, it depends. I don't know what he'd do with Ukraine because what was suggested to me is that he would basically force um, their hands to to settle with Russia, essentially, and that worries me. Um other international situations, I think he can probably handle it quite firmly, and I think it might be better for that. Why um, would he? Look, he's he's yeah. all about relationships, and he mm -hmm. Zelensky totally supported him throughout the impeachment thing. I think I'm he'd told be that good. he hates Zelensky. Really, personal vendetta. Yeah, because what 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 happened there? Yeah. Why? Uh, I don't know how much I'm allowed to say, but I, I actually well, hold, hold on a second. How do you look? How much you're allowed to say? Are you personal friends with Vladimir Zelensky or something? Not Zelensky, but I, I do know somebody who was very really, yeah. Wow. Okay. Well, look, you but don't have to tell me on the live stream. But he also has his bias, so you know, so it's a little bit, so it's a little bit tough to say. Um, so I guess my hesitation would mostly be that his kind of tendencies towards isolationism. Um, but I think he's also kind of capable probably of dealing like with the other issue, like China, Korea, um, and, uh, Middle East. I think he'd probably be okay in those areas. Yeah. He got the Abraham Accords. Yeah. I mean, didn't <laughs> end up. Yeah, but sure. Yeah. And then I think domestically, I think you're going to have because uh, he's not so he's not a hardcore right winger in his policies for the most of it. like i don't think he's gonna based on his answers which were quite evasive i don't think he's pro making abortion yeah, illegal not, yeah no there's yeah. not gonna be an abortion ban yeah I don't like, think he might so. even he might codify it at at the first safe or legal up into the end of the first trimester yeah, which is about where I'm at because honestly, they, a lot of Democrats also are. So I don't yeah. think it'd be like this massive uproar, uproar. Um, and I think he'd be good on like 
um, domestic economic kinds of things like like having more more factories and things like that yeah. uh, less outsourcing so i think there's def like there's some policies that i wish the democrats would just like take on but they're like no trump did this so we can't um can you imagine so policy might be okay. something like ubi oh my yeah like, I don't he think might he try would, something but... big like that because he wants to be known mm -hmm. as like the lincoln the he wants yeah. to be the george washington but I don't think he would do UBI. I don't you don't that. think so? Yeah, I don't think that's where he wouldn't would it be go. crazy if he did though? I mean, it would be crazy. That would be insane. <laughs> I would love. Listen, I would love it if Trump surprised me in a positive way. Yeah. Why? Why not? I want the best for people, best for country, and if it comes from Trump, well, fine. It's but, so weird though, because look, I, I, I think he would try something like that, and the. Mm -hmm. The the Democrats, the people on the left, I mean, they'd call him a fascist and slap his hand away. It's it's so sad that we kind of live well, in that political that what environment. With the vaccine where he was like, this yes. is project hyperspeed. And then you have all these uh, people on the left who are like, I'll never take the vaccine because Trump did it and it's horrible. And then it's like switched. And it's we'll never take the vaccine because the left is, it was just like the most bizarre thing. And it's like they've forgotten they even did that. So um is it like memory hold is, is the term yeah you, you i mean i try to tell myself it, it's got to be different people at least right like the same person didn't no. <laughs> <laughs> that's so bad it is so bad but it tells you a lot i mean i learned a lot from the pandemic about human beings and human nature it oh, was yeah. surprising and not in a good way yes yes well do you want to shout anything out i i did I put your book in the chat and I will put your book in the thing. And look, are you, I'm not a, I'm, I do audiobooks a lot, but it doesn't look like you have an audiobook. So I'm I am working on an audiobook. Okay. Well, I'll commit to reading it if you do an audiobook. I'll okay. definitely commit to that. I don't, awesome. I can't, I don't have time to sit down and actually read a book. So. <laughs> that's so sad. But yes, that is, um, the audiobook is so much work. So that's why I'm a little bit behind on it. I haven't, how long is the book? It's not that long. It's like okay. a, it's, a, it's like two hundred pages. It's okay. It's a so pretty that's that's easy. easy. What are you talking about? Yeah, they it's have, an easy. Just use the AI. You can basically put your voice in, and the AI I know, will give you like. I thought, but it does sound very robotic. I don't. It, well, it gives you it gives you a first draft, and then you can go through and just do a little bit, a sentence here and a sentence yeah. there, and you can fix it up. It's too late now, but it's uh, oh, okay, maybe, so maybe in the future. But it was very, yeah, no, for me, because, you know, trying to get it right, and then you have to restart, and then there's a sound, and then knock on the door, and then my voice goes weird, <laughs> and I have a speech defect, and it's just, it's just, uh, I found it difficult, but people do seem to want read by author. Yeah. And um, so I'm I'm going to finish it, you know, hopefully soon. I'm close to the finish line and it's getting pr produced as, as I go chapter by chapter, but it should be available soon. But yeah, okay. the book is like available on Amazon and um, if you're in Canada on Indigo, apparently it sold out on Amazon.ca, but you can still. Did it really? <laughs> Yeah, it, wow. went, it went to number one in the civil rights category, and I think in the culture category, it was like number two. Um, but they didn't stock enough. And then um, and then it's also, oh, Barnes & Noble, and it's going to be in stores in some of the locations. I know it's in New York and D.C. And then there is an ebook version and like a hard copy. And the hard copy, I mean, it's, I mean, it looks pretty decent. Like, I was like, oh, this is like a real book and everything. Nice. Um, 
Yeah. So Look, you're a professional author. I'm a professional author now. I think I even have one like somewhere there. Um, a copy, like, you know, you're supposed to have a pile of books behind you. That's oh, the yeah. professional author look. And then um, in terms of shouting out other things outside of my book that launched today, which um, I have a sub stack uh, where I write about all sorts of cultural things and sometimes really random things like, uh, you know, imaginary friends that you make in dreams. <laughs> so you never know what you're going to get. But I have a sub stack and the easiest way to find it is Catherine Wrights, W-R-I-T-E-S dot com. And then I have, um, I am pretty active on X, formerly known as Twitter. Um, and uh, my name there is Mysterious Cat, K-A-T, even though I'm a dog person. Sorry, but your cat looks cute. And um, <laughs> I'm both. And I, Look, I like dogs and cats. Okay. So. I like, I like cats that have personalities of dogs. And like, mine actually has that. Like, you can look I, them up. I could tell. You know what? I had a good feeling. For, like, at first, it's like, oh, cat. But I'm like, no, I have a kind of a positive feeling towards your cat. So that must Sit, be it. Sitch, there's a Wikipedia page for ragdoll cats. Sitch mm -hmm. emailed or DM'd me and said, look, I think your cat's a ragdoll cat. Because I've described him as a dog. He basically follows me around the house and it's kind of right. crazy. But if you look on the Wikipedia, this is a breed of cat that is most like a dog. So Oh, really? That it's is kind of crazy. Cool. Yeah. That is crazy. That's really cool. So yeah. I, I'm okay with your cat. Your uh, cat I'd probably hang in with. And then but I, um, I put your I put your Twitter in and I put your website in and I, I'll put the book in, the book link in as well. So perfect. did I Thank miss you. anything or I mean, I have the podcast, but I don't even know how to tell you people to find it. It's on, it is, it is. That's what I want to listen to. Look, I'm yeah. like, why don't you have a YouTube channel? I do. It's called Forbidden okay. Conversations, but it's not the name of the YouTube channel. I think like the YouTube channel is called like Random Minds Channel, I think is the name of it. Okay. But it's, um, but it does have like, I do a bunch of interviews with, on all sorts of topics with just sometimes controversial or challenging topics but like tackled in a more sensible friendly way and uh we've covered drug like addiction to opioids and and being a travel journalist and uh homelessness with michael schellenberger if you know oh, he wow is. yeah I do. yeah and i've done like an interview with zuby and there's really? like really wow, good okay. there's good people nice. on there of really good people on there um, who somehow agreed to come on because I was just as I was starting out this podcast. But I'm I did sort of season one and I'll go back to and I'll do season two. So it should be fun. Cool. Cool. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you. It's Likewise. Great, uh, great conversation. Yeah. We'll have to have you back on again sometime, maybe after I have a chance to read your book. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me on your show. I really enjoyed our conversations and Centrists United. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I just want everyone to be a centrist if if I had to force. <laughs> I'm kidding. It doesn't work either. That, that's okay. So we'll stay on. Look, I'm, I'm going to say goodbye to the audience. Uh, we'll say goodbye to Sitch next time. Thank you much for your super chats. And look, we'll do another stream and we'll read all of your super chats and, and uh, take care of that maybe tomorrow. So uh, thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.